0: and um welcome to the channel so i'm going to start on chapter one introduction to the body and kind of try and do a quick run through of it um, just to pick up on everything that we know is going to be on our test coming up so the first thing that you're going to see on page one that's uh, bolded is anatomy and physiology and these are going to be important because you're going to need to know the anatomy of the body and the physiology of the body you're going to need to know the parts and you're going to need to know the whys so anatomy is going to be um literally means cutting apart or a dissection. So if someone has a wrongful death and you want to look into it, uh, you're going to have an autopsy performed. And this is just going to show you the inside of the body and what's going on. So the next word that you're going to see is physiology. And physiology is going to be more of the why. It's literally the study of the functions of a living organism and their parts. um, And these are physiologists um, that look into these things. So moving along, the next thing that sticks out to me is structure fits function. And this just means that every organ has a job and everything is going to be specific to another part. Uh, all right. So the, um, first bulleted point that we're going to hit is the scientific method. So scientific method is a systematic approach to discovery. Um, and this is basically where we figured out what medicines work for us and um different things like that. So if we didn't have this, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the things that we have today. So the first thing that you're gonna have to have to start a scientific method is a hypothesis. So you're gonna have to have some kind of idea, it's a tentative explanation. Um A reasonable guess based on previous informal observations on a previously tested explanation. So this is just kind of an idea of something, but you're not really sure if you can prove it yet. So the next thing that you're going to have to do is an experiment. So experimentation is the next step in uh, scientific method. So um, during an experiment, you are going to have to have experimental controls. So by that, I mean a test group and a control group. So your test group is going to literally be the group that gets tested, honestly tested, and your control group is going to be the group that is given a placebo or uh, which is a fake. So someone thinks that they're getting the same thing and they're not. So your test group is going to be what's really changing and hopefully, um, and your control group is going to be your place to refer back to to see how this um, experiment is going. So the next... um, the next thing that we see is now on page two, and this is uh, theory and law. So once something has been uh, proven or the results support the hypothesis, this is now considered a theory or a law. Um, and this is going to be seen throughout biology, um, throughout chemistry, tons of things that we see um, now today. Um, All right, so moving right along, I know for sure that we are going to need to know approximately equals to one inch is 2.5 centimeters. That was said in class, and it's in the blue box on the top of page two. Um, Okay, so now we're going to go on to levels of organization, and this is basically just a ladder. You're going to start from the smallest thing and you're going to move your way up. So you're going to start at the chemical level. These are non living things, these are elements, these are chemical level things. Um, So your atoms, your molecules. Um, This is your beginning. You're going to go up to cells. I'm at the top of page three. And cells are considered to be the smallest living units of structure and function in our body. So chemical not living, cells are living. Okay. Now I'm on page four. You're going to go to tissues. Tissues are a step up from cells. And tissues are a group of cells, um, you know, that are going to perform a function a step up from tissues are organs, and these are the bigger pieces inside of our body that are going to perform actions um, to be able to to run our body, to be able to live, and then another step up from organs is going to be an organ system. Okay, so I'm going to back up just a little bit. I'm going to go back to page three. I'm going to say if you were to hold a tissue in your hand and you were to crumple the tissue, kind of rub it around in your hands, and you're in a really light room, you're going to see some dust come out of that tissue. You're going to see some particles come up, and I want you to think of the little particles as um, as the chemical parts. Little bitty pieces of dust are chemical. Okay, the bigger pieces that you see come out of that, you can see, uh, you can think of as cells. Okay, so tissue, the the tissue you could literally think of as tissue. Um, and then the tissue box would be the organ. Um, okay, so all of these things are going to work together to make one big thing. So your organs are, you know, your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your intestines, your lungs, all the pieces that are going to work together to make homeostasis possible. And then an organ system is going to be, you know, the integumentary system or your skin, your respiratory system, your cardiac system, um, the bigger functions. Almost like your body is a warehouse and your organs are going to work together in systems um, to make you the organism. Now we're on page four. Um, so the body as a whole is a human organism. OK, so that's the first for that bullet point. Um, we're still on page four. And now we're going to look at anatomical position. So just like you have a a test group and a control group for an experiment, um, you want something to go back to, something to refer to to see if there's anything changed. This is why we have anatomical position. So... Um, anatomical position is just a go-to, um, for literally everything that you're going to do with the body. So the next word that I'm seeing is bilateral symmetry, symmetry, meaning same. We learned this in kindergarten. So you're going to want both of your, both sides of your body to look exactly the same when you're standing and bilateral, meaning both by means two. lateral is going to be, um, you know, opposite sides. So the same on both sides. Um, so as you can see, we're now on page five this young lady standing in the black outfit, she is standing with her palms out, hands, you know, out to her side laterally, her feet are spread out laterally, um, toes facing forward, and she's not slouching, she's standing straight up, so this is going to be able to, um, if you type in anatomical position on Google, you're always going to get the same thing, everyone is going to be standing in this position, um, for referral, okay, so, um, the, you're going to have to know how to apply directional terms. So the next two words that I'm seeing, I'm still on page five, are supine and prone. So when I think supine, I like to make uh, mnemonics. So I'm going to say if I'm laying in the supine position, I'm laying on my back in the bed, flat on the bed. Um, I like to sleep in the supine position. So sleep, supine. Okay, and prone is going to be when you're laying face down on the bed. And if I'm laying on my stomach, I am prone to have breathing issues when I'm laying that way because that is hard when you know there's a lot of stuff weighing down on your chest so supine and sleep and prone would be prone to having breathing problems if you're laying on your stomach okay moving right along anatomical directions um this says when studying the body it's often helpful to know where an organ is in relation to other structures um so now we're gonna go on down there is a uh compass looking thing um on page five and the s is for superior the i is for inferior r is right and l is left um so this is again just another thing for reference so now we're going to go into directional terms and the first thing that you're going to see is superior and inferior the way that i remember this is at the beginning of class they told us if you had any issues that you're going to want to go up the chain of command so you're going to go above superior you're going to go to your superiors um inferior um if anybody's ever hurt your feelings and made you feel small, they've made you feel inferior. You're going to think below, small. Um, okay, so moving on, interior and posterior. I don't really have anything to memorize these with. Um, just know the A is in the front. Maybe A comes first in the alphabet, and P is later in the alphabet, so that's going to be in the back. Um, so anterior meaning front, posterior meaning back or uh, behind. All right, the third one we see is medial and lateral. Um, this is referring to... Um, The middle of the body. So medial meaning middle and lateral would be farther away. Lateral is going to be farther away from the body. Um, All right so next we have proximal and distal. So proximal means toward or nearest the trunk of the body and distal means away from or farthest from the trunk of the point of origin of a body part. Um, So you could say your elbow is proximal to your shoulder and It is um, distal to your wrist. So you're moving away from the body, distal, distant, proximal. You're going to be approximately close to the middle of your body. Um, Okay, so five, I'm seeing superficial and deep. Um, These kind of are self-explanatory. If something is superficial, it's not really a big deal. Um, Superficial would be like a cut on the top of your skin. It's going to be... very, very close to the top. Deep obviously means deep. So um, if you have a gash, it's going to be deep. Um, Okay. And then again, you see at the bottom of five, the anatomical uh, compass rosette. I'm not going to go through this. This is something that you can look at. Um, On page six now, these are not difficult to remember. We're going to get through these. Um, The first little lady that you see on figure one dash four is posterior, anterior, superior, proximal, distal, um she it's going it's showing you arrows as to how the body would be set up um and then the next thing that you're gonna see is a um, are the planes of the body So the first thing that I'm seeing in planes of the body um is that a cut is called a section and an imaginary flat plane is called or a plate is called a plane. so we're looking at different sections of the body and they're being separated by a plane um so a sagittal plane um, Is going to be separating the body and uh, the front and the back. So let's see. Sagittal is a cutter section running along a lengthwise plane from the front to the back. It divides the body or any of its parts into right and left sides. So if you're looking at a sagittal plane, that means you're going to have sides. Sagittal sides. Um, right and left. And then a mid-sagittal plane is going to be sides, but you're directly in the middle. Your body's cut evenly in half. So sagittal sides, um, mid-sagittal means middle sides. Okay. Um, The second one that I'm looking at is frontal plane. And this one is not going to be hard to memorize uh, because it's literally cutting your body in between the front and the back. So frontal plane is front and back. It's also called a coronal plane. Might be on the chest, might not be, but it would be good to know it. So um, transverse plane. The way that I remember this is it is a, um, a plate cut, you know, in between the body, cutting the body in half between top and bottom. So it's a horizontal line. So the way that I like to think of it is, um, a traverse vehicle, a Chevy traverse would drive horizontally from the side to the side. Um, so transverse plane, I think a a Chevy traverse driving down the road, and this is how it's going to split that body. It's going to be um, in the top and bottom. So you're going to have an inferior and a superior um, section. Okay, so oblique planes is going to be, um, it's not going to be specifically um, even. These are just different, um, different kind of cuts. And sometimes these can be um, used in, excuse me, scans. All right, so moving on to body cavities. Um, we're now at the top of page seven. So these get a little bit tricky when you're coming in because we have categories and then categories inside of categories. But uh, I'm going to start on page seven. A major body cavity that houses several internal organs forms during early development and sub- subdivides into two large ventral body cavities. Um, it's in a separate developmental process along the posterior aspect of the body bony dorsal cavities form that house organs of the central nervous system. Um, And then you also have your oral cavity and your nasal cavity um, as well. So in dorsal cavities, um, excuse me, um, it includes the space inside the skull that contains the brain. It is called the cranial cavity. And this also includes the spinal cavity. So you want to think that your brain works with your spinal cavity. You have to have the nerve impulses um, from your brain and your spinal cord For your body to work. So, uh, dorsal is going to be spinal cavity and cranial cavity. And you can remember it like this your spinal cavity and your brain have to work together for you to be able to walk out the door. So, dorsal cavities, cranial, and spinal. Okay, Um, so now we're going to move on to ventral cavities. We're still on page seven. Um, It's broken down into thoracic and abdominal pelvic cavities. So, upper ventral cavities include thoracic cavity. Um, you can also think of it it as your chest cavity and, um, the mid portion is a subdivision of the thoracic cavity called the mediastinum. The lateral subdivisions of the thoracic cavity are called the right and left pleural cavities. So when you're looking at this, uh, this figure of this man at the bottom of page seven, you see that your thoracic cavity is, um, it looks like it's two sections, but it's literally where your lungs are going to be laying at. Um. And your uh, pleural cavities are where your lungs are going to be at. Uh, the mediastinum is where your sternum would be. So, sternum, sternum. That's how you can memorize that. Uh, the lower ventral cavities include an abdominal cavity and a pelvic cavity. Um, they actually form only one compartment, the abdominal pelvic cavity. So, abdomen and your pelvic area, they're going to be kind of together. Um, because no, there's nothing to separate them. So, uh you do have um, an example on here of the diaphragm and it's a muscular sheet that separates the thoracic cavity from the abdominal cavity so I will take a look at page seven and know what each cavity holds and know what these um, what these cavities are called okay so now I want to go into the abdominal uh, pelvic subdivisions and we had to do this during checkoffs and it shouldn't be hard everybody did great um, when you are listening to your lung or to your uh, gastric sounds your bowel sounds you're going to want to listen in these quadrants so your right upper quadrant, uh, right lower quadrant, left upper quadrant and left lower quadrant these are um, where your uh, gastric area is dis- is divided okay so um, we're still at the bottom of page seven and this is basically telling you where it's going to be divided I'm going to move on to page eight the abdominal pelvic regions, um, upper regions, the right hypochondriac region, left hypochondriac region, and epigastric region are above an imaginary line across the abdomen at the level of the ninth rib cartilage cartilages. Excuse me. Okay. So we're going to look at the top of page eight with the space that has, um, nine cavities in it. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so you have a right hypochondriac and a left hypochondriac. You have a right iliac and a left iliac. You have a right lumbar and a left lumbar. And then in the middle, you're going to have epigastric, umbilical, and hypogastric. This is really just going to be memorization. There's not much that um, else that I could say about it. Um, we are going to look at table 1-1 for body cavities because I'm sure that you're going to see some of this on the test. Um, this is telling you what organs are being held in what cavity. So the mediastinum is going to hold your trachea, your heart, and your blood vessels. The pleural cavities are going to hold your lungs. Um, I know she told us today that anytime you hear plural, you're going to think lungs. And I promise you're going to remember this whenever you get a chance in, to listen to a pleural friction rub. If you can get on YouTube and listen to a pleural friction rub, you're not going to forget that plural is going to be um, relevant to lungs because it's a sound you won't forget. Um, abdominal pelvic cavity is, uh, split into your abdominal cavity and your pelvic cavity. So abdominal is going to hold your liver, your gallbladder, your stomach, spleen, pancreas, small intestines, and part of the large intestine. Um, and then pelvic is going to have the lower colon, rectum, urinary bladder, and reproductive organs. And then, um, the easiest ones to remember, cranial cavity is going to hold your brain and spinal cavity is going to hold your spinal cord. All right. Um. I also suggest that you do the quick checks in here because if you read a small section and you can't get past those questions, then you probably need to go back and reread something. Uh, and that's the best way to remember things is just check yourself. All right. So um, we're going to keep going right now. We're looking at body regions. Um, so this says to recognize the objects you should usually first notice this overall structure and form. Uh, The ability to identify and correctly describe specific body areas is particularly important in health sciences. So I'm going to go on over. This is going to be memorization for you. Um, Table 1-2. Not necessarily that you have to memorize everything, but this is very important to know because these words are going to be used quite often and they're not going to call... call them things that we would at home. They're going to say the technological term for them and you're going to have to know what they mean. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and go over to axial and appendicular at the top of page 10. Um, It says that the body can be um, whole and subdivided into two major portions or components as an axial and appendicular. So the um, axial portion of the body consists of the head, neck, and torso or trunk. The appendicular portion consists of the upper and lower extremities or limbs. So, when I think of appendicular, I'm going to think that I can go to Applebee's and order appetizers and eat them with my hands that are on my upper extremities. So, appendicular, I'm going to be able to go to Applebee's and eat apps. Um, axial is going to be the head, the neck, and the torso or trunk. So, if you know what appendicular means, you're going to know the axial is the opposite. So, um, All right, so moving down just a little bit, the next bolded word that I see is atrophy. So atrophy is a waste of tissue. It's a waste of muscle. Um, So this literally says a degenerative process that results from disuse is called atrophy. So if you have a patient that's sitting in their bed and never moving and not using their muscles, um, they are going to have atrophy. Their muscles are going to break down. And a lot of people that don't move for a long time have to go to physical therapy so that they can build their muscles back up. Um. Because atrophy will will break you down. Okay, so now we're going to go over to uh, balance of body functions. We're at the very bottom of page 10. Um, homeostasis is the first word that I see. And this is very important. She's going to say this over and over and over and over and over. Um, it is the relative consistency of the internal environment. So you are going to need to know what that means because I promise you're going to see it again. So this is basically saying this is your normal, how your body is supposed to be working, and everybody's normal is different, but this is just everything working together as a big, big, big factory to perform homeostasis so that we can stay alive. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go over to page 11, and I'm in this first little paragraph at the bottom, and this is saying the temperature, salt content, acid level, or pH, fluid volume, Pressure, oxygen concentration, and other vital conditions must remain within acceptable limits. So, these are the things that are going to determine your homeostasis and whether or not um, you're living. So, now I'm going to go over to feedback control. Um, I'm literally going to read this for you because it's not a very easy concept to explain. But uh, feedback control is going to be broken down to a feedback loop. The basic type of a control system in the body is called a feedback loop. Um, So, you're going to have a sensor and an effector, and if you skip over to page 13 real quick, there is a diagram figure 1-11. I suggest Googling this, YouTubing this. Um, Medcom, ATI, this is gonna be a good example of how this works. So you're gonna have to have a sensor, something that um, is gonna detect a change. So in this case at the bottom it's saying a sensor, in this case a thermometer detects a change in temperature. Information from the sensor feeds back to the control center which is the thermostat for this example that compares to the actual temperature within the normal range and responds by activating the building's furnace. The furnace is called an effector because it has an effect on the controlled condition. Um, which is the temperature, because the sensor continually feeds information back to the control center, the furnace will be automatically shut off when the temperature has returned to normal. So this is literally an attempt to keep your body working the way it's supposed to be. If there is something that is not going correctly, something that's not working correctly, your body's going to adjust to be able to change it, and that is what homeostasis is, is being able to maintain a norm. Um, so a negative feedback loop um, let's see. I'm gonna look over at page thirteen. And I'm going to read underneath figure 111. Um, An engineer's diagram showing how a relatively consistent room temperature controlled condition can be maintained. A thermostat or control center receives feedback information from a thermometer sensor and responds by counteracting a change from the normal by activating a furnace effector. The uh physiologist diagram shows how relatively constant body temperature control conditioning can be maintained. The brain is a control center, it receives feedback information from the nerve endings called cold receptors or sensors, and responds by counteracting a change from normal by activating shivering by muscles effectors, which increases the body temperature. So I'm gonna see if I can break this down for you. Um all right. So in A, we have um a room and there's a disturbance there's a cold wind that blows through so the sensor is going to be your thermometer it's going to pick up hey something's different in this room something's not not going the way it normally does so i'm going to alert the thermostat i'm going to let the thermostat know that something has changed the thermostat is going to speak and it's going to have um the furnace kick on so that's going to be an attempt to control the temperature in the room and then the effector is going to um to work its back away, way back around to have a controlled condition. So it's basically a, um, communication system. It's just moving something down the line. Hey, something's wrong. And then you pass it on to someone else and then they are going to go about how to fix it. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm going to go back over to page 12 and positive feedback. Um, all right, another example of negative feedback loop occurs during exercise. As the muscles contract, they produce additional carbon dioxide, which is transported by blood. This increase in blood um CO2 levels is detected by sensory receptors, which transmit that information to respiratory control centers in the brain. This triggers an increase in breathing rate that the, that brings the blood CO2 level back down towards normal. Um I would read over that and really try to understand that concept. Um going to go down to positive feedback. Um, This loop exists in the body and are sometimes involved in normal function. Positive feedback control loops are uh, stimulatory. Instead of opposing a change in the internal environment and causing a return to normal, positive feedback loops are temporarily amplify the change that is occurring. Um, This causes an ever-increasing rate of events to occur until something stops that process. An example would be um, Events that rapidly increase the uterine contractions before the birth of the baby. So it's just going to uh, amplify something. So this says, however, negative feedback can abnormally turn into positive feedback, possibly causing a deadly shift in body function. Um, so when blood pressure is lost, at, as occurs with severe bleeding, blood pressure drops. Um, so, again, everything's trying to get your body back to normal. Um, Okay, so we're going to go over to page 14 because that is um, connected to positive feedback, and I'm going to read this. An example of positive feedback occurs when a baby is born. As the baby is pushed from the womb to the birth canal, stretch receptors detect the movement of the baby, and stretch formation is fed back to the brain, triggering the pituitary gland to secrete a hormone, um, oxytocin. It travels through the bloodstream to the uterus where it stimulates stronger contractions and stronger contractions push the baby farther along from the birth canal, thereby increasing stretch and stimulating the release of more oxytocin. Uterine contractions quickly get stronger and stronger until the baby is pushed out of the body and the positive feedback loop is broken. Also, it can be injected therapeutically by a physician to stimulate labor contractions. So the variable is going to be um, the the baby. The sensor is going to be the uh, stretch receptors, and then you're going to have an integrator, which is your brain. And that's going to send a signal, the effector, and it's going to come back around. um, And once it stops, then that loop is broken. So um, that's the end of chapter one. And I would definitely, definitely suggest um, going and looking at the summary at the end of this chapter. And if you haven't noticed yet, the objectives at the beginning of the chapter are Identical to the summary at the back. So if you can answer the questions in the front, then you know the summary of this chapter. Um, also, would suggest doing the review questions and critical thinking as well as the chapter test at the end because it will be multiple choice, but a lot of the times she is going to give you. Um, scenario-based questions and not just memorization. She's going to want to make sure that you can apply what you know. Um, so study hard, guys, and be confident in what you know, and I will be posting chapter two um, very soon.